Hey, family. What is up, my brothers and sisters? That's right. Welcome back to the OCD Family Podcast. It's Friday, and here in the Midwestern region of the United States, we are entering into our second, maybe third winter with snow. Yep, nothing says mid-March quite like snow. But y'all, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Because we still get to have this time together. And today, we're diving a bit deeper into ICBT. So kick off your snow boots <laughs> and make yourself at home because this is family time. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family, the CD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. Alrighty. So I'm excited for today because we are going to be chatting more about ICBT. That's inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy for our newbies here. And I am just really, really enjoying learning more about ICBT. It's interesting because today's guest, Christina Orlova, LMFT, and I recorded this episode actually a few months back. So as I was getting ready for our family time today and getting ready to present Christina and her wealth of knowledge to you, I realized really how much more I've learned from even a couple extra months here of diving into this treatment model with clients for my family members, you name it. And this was just a really lovely opportunity to put into practice last week's application challenge with regards to cognitive feedback loops. And what I mean is I had an opportunity to go, okay, what have I learned about this evidence-based practice, ICBT, for the treatment of OCD? And how is it working? Because I got to hear, and because we're all going to get to hear where I was at that time. And now I'm like, yes, 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 even more. I get it even more. And it's exciting and it's full of hope. And so I'm so glad that I get to share it with you. So let me ask you this, family. What have you learned about OCD, about ICBT? You might surprise yourself too. Or you might be really new to this community and this podcast and go, ICBT, what's that? I have no clue. (laughs) Maybe you caught our initial kind of intro to ICBT back with Mike Hetty in December. Or maybe you're like, I've heard of ICBT, but hey, exposure and response prevention works for me. That's ERP for new fam. And I don't know. I I don't want to explore ICBT. Well, here's the good news for all of us. It's okay to be at different points in this journey. You might learn more and go, interesting, and yeah, I'm going to stick with my ERP. I know it works. You might hear about ICBT and go, interesting, and yeah, 
that makes sense for me. And I want to check it out. You might be hearing about ICBT and go, and I just don't know what to do with OCD. OCD. Those are the letters. That is the thing that I'm done with, that I need hope for, for me, for my loved one, for my spouse, for my child. And so we all come into this from different points, different places in our own journeys. And you know what? Here's the good news. That's okay. And we have that choice. We get to have a choice. We get to say, this feels better or this feels better. We get to say, I don't care whatever works. I need help. And we get to provide and be a part and support one another and cheer each other on and love on one another as we hold on to hope. And we do. And we support evidence-based choices. Choices, plural. Oh, I'm ecstatic. Plural for the treatment of OCD. And we have adjunctive treatments that can complement these treatments really well. We have ACT, that's acceptance and commitment therapy. We have mindfulness. We have metacognitive. We have so many different areas that can just customize and make this experience even more meaningful, even more helpful. And you know what that means, y'all? That means OCD. Yep, OCD is losing some of its strength. And many of us here, we get to have a front row seat to watch it all go down. So let's dive back in here and reorient ourselves with ICBT or maybe just get to know ICBT for the first time. Because Christina provides a really helpful guide to better understand this treatment model. And particularly if you're coming from an ERP framework, like both she and I have, then today's conversation further supports some strategies on really learning how to speak both languages and determining which one feels like a better fit for you or your loved ones. So it's go time, y'all. Let's do this. Welcome back to the OCD Family Podcast. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Christina Orlova, founder of Core Results OCD and Anxiety Specialist. And she is a mental health professional with 17 years of experience under her belt. Her expertise lies in OCD and anxiety disorders, which she has been specializing in for the past seven years. Christina uses an array of evidence-based therapies, which we like that word here, right, family? We like evidence-based. We want to see that, including cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure and response prevention, ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, and inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy. She also uses mindfulness to empower individuals to break free from the cycle of OCD. She is not just a specialist, but also a host of the popular OCD Whisperer podcast, and she's an author of How to Stop Ruminating, a 30-day journal that helps individuals to stay accountable and make progress. So, Christina, you are a busy lady, and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Nicole, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly enough, the family may remember I had a guest on by the name of Mike Hetty, and he introduced the concept of inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy to all of us. And in my research for prepping for that interview and trying to wrap my mind around what to expect, I actually came across an episode of the OCD Whisperer with Christina here. 
And I think at that point when you shot that episode, I don't know if you remember, Christina, or how long ago it was, but I think at that point you were just in the phases of dipping your toe in the water too, because you were asking a lot of questions the way I was thinking them. I really was vibing with you there in terms of the, (laughs) but wait, like, how does this work kind of perspective? And so today I'm so glad that you're going to be here because you speak both languages. You speak exposure and response prevention. You speak inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as CBT and ACT and other evidence-based therapies. And so I'm really interested in learning, first of all, you've been in the field for 17 years, but really have been specializing in OCD for the past seven years. What brought you really into the specialty of OCD and anxiety disorders during the course of your career? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, I kind of fell into it, really. It wasn't something that was, for some people, it's very clearly on their radar, something they really want to do. I'm somebody who didn't even know that I was dealing with OCD myself until later in life. So when I fell into it, it was more a group practice was opening and I really wanted to be part of a group practice. And Mm -hmm. so I, I interviewed, I got in, started working and very rapidly was falling in love with it. Everything was making sense, very easy for me to grasp. And from then on, I took myself to the International OCD Conference for the BTTI Training Institute and get more training in OCD and just kept going. And that's it. Just kind of never looked back. (laughs) Yeah, I totally understand because I feel like even I remember sitting at my BTTI, people were like, if you don't specialize or don't advertise yourself as specializing in OCD, I bet if we check back six months in a year, you will because word spreads that there's some hope here because somebody can actually treat this. But it is really, it's fascinating. It's engaging. It's, yeah, I'm falling in love with it. As you described, I really like the way you phrase that. So you came in because the group practice was really focusing in OCD. And I'm going to guess you started with exposure and response prevention. I know that's what they Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's like a natural course for everybody. That's really the number one treatment. It was outpatient sessions and intensive outpatient program. So doing both all of it was ERP based. And then even I would say, interestingly enough, back then it was still predominantly ERP. And then slowly you start to hear about things like ACT and okay, what's ACT? And having clients come and say, oh, I want ACT. Yeah. You're like, okay, hold on a second. Like ACT though still doesn't mean you're not going to do exposure and response prevention work. So even though you're hearing this, this language, people had this understanding that somehow it's going to be something so different that you'll never do ERP. You'll somehow do something else, more like values-based discovery or mindfulness or, you know, these other concepts. But the reality is like, no, you're still going to have to do exposure work and response prevention work. So it's it's not, it's it's just a different way how we're going to engage in that relationship to make it, I think, more meaningful and therefore a bit easier to get into and understand why this would be important. Yeah, yeah. So that was really interesting because even though it was a technically newer therapy or whatnot, but it was, you're still exposure-based. Right. And that's been my experience as well. It's been more of like an augmentation to ERP to really, and, and the community here is still in the process of learning more about ACT, but really it's that values-based look and approach at how am I going to go through life? Well, if my value is I want to make it to Timmy's soccer game and my obsessions and compulsions are saying this, I'm going to press in toward my value, even though that's hard. And it can be 
a really helpful piece of the puzzle. But on its own, uh, some very strong act advocates might argue differently, but on its own tends to not be the treatment usually is adjunctive to ERP, like you're saying. And so anyway, you slice it, some of the things you may engage in, mindfulness, for example, as well as like, and again, very probably act-based, if if that would be accurate. But I would say it all complements exposure. ICBT comes on the scene, which is kind of a funny way to even say it because it's been on the scene. Anybody who's yes. like really in ICBT, they're like, girl, it's been here. But ICBT has not been as popular here in the United States. Exposure and response prevention therapy has been. And ERP is a good therapy. So I want to note that this is not bashing ERP. It approaches OCD from a completely different angle. No angle is wrong. They're both evidence-based to work. But ICBT is completely different. So what was your introduction like into ICBT and learning more? And what was your initial thought before actually learning it? What was your initial thought in terms of like, what's up with this? this new therapy in town. Yeah, you know, it. so like you said, the same thing was happened with ACT, right? It was considered new therapy, but it's been around for, you know, 20, 30 years. Same thing here. I thought, oh, ICBT, this new thing is just coming on. No, it's also been around for 20 years, right? So it's just, it takes time to, like everything, right? Anything I would say, when, whenever as humans, we are having to make change or expand or grow, it's always that transition period that could be a little challenging. So first was hearing about this and came up on their website and then looked to join. It was actually through a colleague and I was a little bit confused initially. What does this mean? But I was excited about this idea that there's another way that we can treat OCD. Like, what's that? How's that possible? Right. I think I think most of us would say when so inundated and ingrained in this ERP world, like it works. I mean, even for me, like there have been plenty of times I'd have this intense trigger and suddenly, you know, like a cloud goes over you and just get absorbed and I'll go do an imaginal script or I'll be like, okay, I have to do my response prevention because I'm overly thinking right now. And it does work. I mean, you know, you have to put effort, but of course, as you practice, there's times that you can really do it easily. And there's other times you still have to put effort, but it works. Yeah. So this coming in, I think pretty much like everybody, (laughs) because that's what I keep hearing over and over, you start to get a little confused because you're like, wait a minute, what do you mean we're not? treating uncertainty. What do you mean we're going to get into certainty? But by the way, that sounds wrong. How, how can we be talking about certainty? Isn't that reassurance, right? Because you don't yet have the grasp or understanding of something. You think you do based on just some concepts here and there and words you hear. So of course, our mind is going to try to put it together, but you're not fully understanding it, what it is. So that's how it started. And it really was a little bit disorienting for a second and more than a second. And yeah, I think I gave myself like about a good two, three months of staying in this group and listening to the presentations and talking to other people. Then a consultation group started for therapists. So I joined that and I decided, you know what, let me just, the only way I'm going to really, really get into this is I have to just do it. So I picked, there's a couple of clients that I have a you know really good working relationship with. And I just presented it and said, hey, like there's this other therapy that's coming out and I, I'm learning it. Would you be open to trying it? Because we've been doing ERP for a little while and some Things are kind of, I feel like we're plateaued in a certain place and maybe we can see what else we can do. Mm-hmm. They all said yes. I mean, I was very honest and clear. I'm not, by no means am I pro at this approach, but let's see where we get to. 
And with, you know, I want to say tremendous thank you to all my clients that, that have let me have these conversations and said yes, because as we went through it, of course, I was learning where there was things I still wasn't as good at understanding it and translating it for them. Yeah. And now with time, you know, I'll say like I, I had an IOP program where all we did and all we use is inference-based CBT, the entire IOP. That is amazing. Right. Doing that. Yeah. Doing that, I will say for me, even as a clinician, like it was really beautiful process of watching the unveiling of all the stages and steps and working directly and watching and seeing where and how things were getting lost or confused, where we need more practice, revisiting some concepts. And then when things started to really click, being able to start to kind of much better for myself as a therapist, understand how to start to explain it to people. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting. So IOP family, for just a little reminder, or for those of you that are new with us, is intensive outpatient. It is hard to find intensive outpatient, even for ERP. There are a couple of institutions that do it really well. Rogers, McLean, there are a few more that are that have a couple sites around the U.S. There may be more outside in Canada. I think there's one in the U.K. But there's not a lot of intensive outpatient, even for ERP, let alone something that is able to treat it from an ICBT perspective. Do you know, are you guys one of the only intensive outpatients that treats OCD with ICBT? Or do you know of any other off the top of your head? It's okay if you don't. You know, it just recently, actually, in the ICBT group for therapists, we kind of asked this question. And I think there's maybe one or two programs that are incorporating it. And I think some other sole providers are, as people get more comfortable, are starting to incorporate it. Yeah. So it's not as many. Yeah. But, but it's yeah. emerging. And it's, it's, it's emerging. I think as more people get comfortable, it, you because that's what it is, right? Even with ERP, it's about getting comfortable with delivering the treatment. And once you get more comfortable and you start to do it, it's just the act of practicing it, just like we ask our clients, right? The more you practice, the better you get. And then you start to understand how it all works. That's a really good point. And Christina, correct me if I'm wrong. You're in NorCal. You're in the Bay Area, right? Yes. And so, yeah, there are a couple areas within the U.S. ICBT globally has been more popular outside of the U.S. prior to the last five, seven years. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, it's it's really catapulting, I would say, the understanding or willingness to understand ICBT. And so I think we're going to continue to see some exponential growth about ICBT as a treatment method. And so for you all, I just want to make sure, because I speak the language of ERP, but ICBT makes a lot of sense to me as well. And so I find myself clinically when I'm in practice, but also for myself, for supporting my son who has OCD as well, I find myself starting to jive more with some of the ICBD terms. So I kind of flip-flop even in my own daily life without thinking about it much from a, I'm in an exposure because that's what I'm going to do to, oh, I fell into an inference of doubt here around something because this is definitely a vulnerable self theme for me and just starting to practice that. And so as it continues to emerge, I want to provide this community with support and understanding or at least getting a better understanding about ICBT. And I think that starts with conversations. We have to be having conversations where not just clinicians are learning about it. And certainly those conversations are in motion, but the, our clients understand 
there are some options. There's a gold standard, as they would say here in the U.S., of ERP. But hey, ICBT is gold as well. You know, maybe we got some gold, gold, we got white gold, who knows? So we're going to learn more about that. And I really appreciate what you said in terms of practicing just as we do in the process of session and we do in the process of treatment and working through hierarchies. Practicing our understanding, having these discussions around ICBT is really important. So what you talked about in terms of transitioning between the modalities, as you started to learn more about inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy, you would have this conversation with clients, and I can totally, I can totally empathize because I've had some like deliveries of ICBT that were just like blah blah blah. <laughs> or I've gone like old, old past me would have been like really like man, you didn't exactly fly that plane straight, but. But I think it also helps in really authentically communicating. We're learning this together. And so as you started with a couple of clients, as you said, transitioning them toward ICBT, what was it like for you trying to balance having ERP language that you worked with for many years at this point and incorporating this new ICBT, which really they approach OCD from such different angles, it's kind of hard to hold the two in tension and just go back and forth between speaking the two. So what has that process been like for you? Well, one of the things I've, I've really took to heart when I was listening to like Frederick Emma, who's one of the founders, is the whole point that they are teaching and discussing is, again, out here in the States, we're, we're so wrapped in ERP and ERP only that it really takes a minute to realize that you can take those training wheels off and you can use a different approach. His whole thing is, look, we don't have to be purists, but if you're doing ICBT and you're doing it well, as it's designed and been shown, that that in and of itself should work on its own. So even, even conceptually as a clinician to hear that and think, oh, well, do I need to maybe do ERP at the end or do I still somehow combine it? What do I do? Because I still can't let go of this concept that I don't have to do ERP. Mm -hmm. And so part of that understanding is when you really teach people how to resolve their obsessional doubt, understanding obsessional doubts operate very differently than a normal doubt. And when you can help people really understand what that is, how it works, where it comes from, and people start to learn how to identify it, how to see it and resolve it on the front end, you really do shut down the rest of that cycle. There's no need to go and try to fix something through your compulsive behaviors because you are engaged with reality again. So it has to do with really being engaged in actual reality here and now. Yeah. And so when doing this work with folks, if I've had some folks where things maybe are still sticky, even though let's say we've completed the modules, we then need to review some modules. Maybe we need to go, go and redo some of those practices again, do more of them until we really get to a point where both myself and the client can say that we'd agree that you're really confident and comfortable in understanding this principle, how to use it, what to do with it. And then really what we want to say is, let's get you back into your normal life. So your P would say, oh, that's like situational in vivo exposures. Yeah, we could say that, but really it's literally getting you back into just your normal adaptive everyday functioning, going doing things that you would typically do in non-OCD ways, because guess what? Everybody with OCD also still has things that they do in their life that's non-OCD. Right. And they know how to do those things. 
and they do so it's not well. like you're right yes like you it's like you're missing skills you actually have the skills you already have you have it you do it it's just when ocd suddenly comes online there's something else that's happening that suddenly we go somewhere else and so it's learning how to understand that and get people back so if we do even ERP at the end, it's really different. It's not about now let's tolerate anxiety because that's not, the model's different. It's really about let's understand the inferential confusion that's happening. Let's have you be right in front of that challenging situation that's triggering you. But now let's let's slow down and let's use the ICBT tools and steps to understand where is it that you're leaving reality and you're going right into your obsessional doubt and getting absorbed in your mind into all sorts of terrible consequences and all this bad stuff that could happen. And let's help you resolve that so you can re-engage with that very item or place or person or activity in a normal non-OCD way and practicing that. Yeah. Right? So it's very different how we might then incorporate if we need to. But generally, there's really no need for ERP. And if you do do it, that's how you would do it. So for those that may be newer to the community or have not heard the prior ICBT episode, as you were talking, I was like, yes, yes. And then I thought it probably would be helpful for me to have us take a moment and review. And you have, and at least I was like, wow, I tracked it all. I'm on the right track. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it would be helpful for our newbies here to ICBT or even to OCD overall, you know, within ERP. There is definitely a philosophy that what happens is we get these intrusive thoughts and everybody gets them. Why? Because we are humans and everybody gets them. And so there is not a specific rhyme or reason, though there can be things certainly that trigger us at times. Everybody gets intrusive thoughts. Some of them get sticky. Our act of engaging in compulsions even if they're mental compulsions or physical compulsions, rituals, or behaviors, with the intent to minimize, neutralize, or avoid the distressing thought, the intrusive thought, is actually what reinforces the stickiness on these OCD thoughts. And so ERP is very much like, yeah, intrusive thoughts are intrusive thoughts. And in some ways, well, not just some ways. I think in a lot of ways. And before I knew anything about ICBT, I thought that is pretty validating, right? Because it's not like you failed here somehow. This is just something that happens for everyone. There's a neurochemistry underlying that reinforces this pattern. Your efforts for safety behaviors or coping skills, maybe even going to therapy for years to get really nice coping skills i.e. compulsions sometimes, sometimes therapy can function as a compulsion, was really a good effort to try and deal with this really intrusive thing. And so I think that can be very validating. And the treatment is very much about exposing yourself to the triggers that amps up OCD and then not engaging in those compulsions, the response prevention. And that is actually what helps the brain to learn. Actually, the threat may or may not be real. It may or may not be here. Things may or may not be happening, but not because my thought happened and boom, like reality became my thought, but my thought was just a thought. And so it doesn't guarantee certainty. It's very much an embrace the uncertainty model. And it's got a high efficacy rate. Additionally, ICBT has a high efficacy rate, and I'll let you explain this because I know you will at least do, I know you said you're not a pro, but you'll do a much better job than I because I'm definitely much more of a baby learner in this sense. 
But something I really like about the philosophy, if that's even the right word, maybe the foundational piece behind ICBT is actually there is a mechanism for why you get these what we would call intrusive thoughts in ERP. They're not called intrusive thoughts in ICBT, but there's a reason because of this inferential confusion. And so I'm going to have Christina, if you may, just explain in helping anybody that's coming to this podcast with brand new ears, brand new experience with OCD. What is ICBT? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I have the exact same, I went through the exact same process when I was learning this. So I kept asking that question and had to reconfigure my brain. Yeah. I think one thing I want to point out, like you already started saying is CBT, ERP, we're looking at appraisal of thoughts, right? Like what do they mean, not mean? right? It's a learning theory. So part of what you said, we're learning that, hey, having intrusions or discomfort, uncomfortable feelings, whether it's shame, anxiety, guilt, whatever it is, inherently in and out of themselves don't really mean anything significant. And then learning how they get triggered and that we can tolerate it, right? Mm-hmm. ICBT is a reasoning theory. It's a different theory. So it's really talking about, hey, there's faulty reasoning that's going on here. And our interventions are aimed at resolving OCD-related doubts without having to perform compulsions. So it has nothing to do with anxiety, if you will. It has everything to do with faulty reasoning. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think all of us with OCD will agree upon is even when you do ERP, and I love ERP, frankly, I think it's a wonderful therapy, but I also love ICBT now. I think it's also a wonderful therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what ICBT has done is it gives you this ability to start to actually pause and really slow everything way down and look behind the curtain of what's going on. Because no matter what, no matter how amazing you are with ERP people, I keep finding people telling me, well, I still think these things a certain way. Right. But there's still a certain way that we're analyzing a situation that's triggering for us. and in ERP, we say oh, it's like response prevention. Let's learn to not engage with it, shut it down, say maybe, maybe not, or not today, or I don't need to figure it out and all that stuff. And right. ICBT, we're like, actually, let's dive into it. Let's really, let's, let's pull back the curtain. Let's look at what's happening. So the key difference here that I want to highlight, you started talking about, is the difference in the model of how they view OCD, mm-hmm. right? ICBT says... It's not just that I have an intrusion, anxiety, compulsion, relief, and that reinforces the intrusion. ICBT says before all of that, that's happening already at the end cycle. Before that cycle, there's something else that's happening. And really what's happening is you have a trigger. Mm -hmm. Right after the trigger, there's something called an obsessive doubt that starts. Mm -hmm. After the obsessive doubt, we start to worry more about the consequences of that doubt, all the bad stuff that could happen. Mm-hmm. after the consequences is when we get anxious and after the anxiety, we perform a compulsion. Mm-hmm. So if we now see that that's actually how the model sees the cycle of OCD, if the model says, hey, look, instead of addressing the anxiety and the compulsion, which is kind of at the end of this process, mm-hmm. let's look at something that's happening on the front end before all of that. Mm-hmm. And if we really dive in and isolate and really focus on a, this, this obsessive doubt and realize, well, where is this doubt coming from? It's not just randomly out of thin air. There's a certain way you're reasoning. There's a certain way you're thinking about it Mm -hmm. that's making you now start to doubt. And then you get more and more absorbed in these imagined consequences. So if we can isolate that obsessive doubt and understand the mechanism of how it operates, like the anatomy of the doubt, right? The anatomy of the obsessive doubt. 
If we can understand the reasoning behind it, how it works, why is it hooking you in, and we can resolve that doubt on the front end, right? Right. Then everything else can stop. Part of what we're looking at, though, is understanding that the reasoning theory here, this model, is based on that people with OCD, I'll, I'll say everybody I've ever worked with, highly intelligent people, mm-hmm. highly intelligent. However, the moment that OCD trigger comes online, and I will say myself included, mm-hmm. I just wasn't quite realizing this until I learned this model, but we truly disconnect from reality right, right before us, literally. Mm-hmm. We no longer are using our sensory information. We're not using our eyesight, like our actual irises. We're no longer actually hearing things. We're now suddenly in some other place in our mind where we are now perpetually coming up with more what if this, what if that. If this happens, oh my gosh, then everybody's going to hate me or I'm going to be rejected or I'm going to go to jail or I'm a horrible person. And we start to then confuse that place, hence inference-based CBT, we're having inferential confusion. We're starting to treat that place as if that is reality. And then we're engaging in these compulsive behaviors to try to resolve that. Right. But what we're really resolving is not based in reality that's before us. It's actually based in our minds. It's stuff we're coming up with. So ICBT's part of the model is saying, hey, we're kind of dissociating in, in, in a way, right? We're no longer in reality. What would it be like if we actually come back to reality in our senses? So it has nothing to do with reassurance. It has everything to do with reality in our senses. Yeah. And we engage our irises, right? Not our mind's eye, but our actual eyeballs. <laughs> Let's re-engage our actual eyeballs and like, what do you actually see right here? Yeah. It's almost like you suddenly kind of break out of the spot and you go, oh yeah, well, wait a second. Well, what I see is that I locked the door and nothing else is happening. But what if, but what if somehow, right? So, so we get, we start to get pulled in again to this obsessional story, which is why what's important to understand is that key difference. That the way this operates is not like a normal doubt. Normal doubts, we typically resolve with our sensory information. Yeah. Right. An obsessive doubt, we don't even realize we're in it. We just keep getting absorbed and we keep trying to resolve it with more kind of thoughts. We're, we're trying to figure it out more. We're trying to analyze it more. Well, what if this happens? What if that? It's like we're trying to think of it from every angle possible of all the things that can go wrong. And that's what also feeds the cycle. It makes us get more absorbed. And then if we react to it in, in actual reality, real reality with our compulsive behaviors, we're just reinforcing that possibilities. It, becomes higher feels more real feels more real feels like the stakes are higher and then understandably people feel distressed because when they're engaging with it they get very swept up in it absorbed is a word that you've used a couple times and honestly as I started learning about ICBT I love I love that description absorbing because I think if you are an OCD sufferer or if you're not, but your spouse, your child, your parent is, then you've had a first row seat to the absorbing nature to the point that you as a support person can get even absorbed in the realness of the feeling, feeling being a very important word to highlight, of the feeling. Mm -hmm. That, oh my goodness, we have to attend to this. This is, this is a situation going on. And so absorbing, I feel like, is really validating. Before I said, ERP is validating and let it says intrusive thoughts are intrusive thoughts. And then I thought, no, no, it's because I'm thinking about it 
juxtaposition to absorbing thoughts. I like the language of absorbing thoughts. I don't think ERP would disagree that it is very, very all-consuming, the quote-unquote intrusive nature. But what I like from the ICBT perspective is it's saying you crossed out of what you can see with your irises. I really like that. The irises versus the mind's eye. It's like getting too little meta about this, but just going, hey, in the here and now, in my five senses, so if I think about my five senses, is anything right now that I'm concerned about validated by literally what's happening in this moment? If yes, proceed to doubt. Yeah, that's reasonable, as ICBT would say, right? I'm not totally flubbing that up, Christina. Nope, you got it. There you go. Because in the here and now, you're like, there's a fire and I'm feeling concerned about my safety and my kids and I'm gathering them up or whatever the situation. Yes, you are confirming that. You smell the fire. You see the fire. You see the smoke. You cough the smoke. You're experiencing that in a here and now present way versus waking up going, is there a fire? Do I need to get the kids out? Are they in danger? And not actually having any of those cues in the present reality that verify that there could be a fire. Could there be a fire? I suppose there could. That would be like some spidey sense of you like in its inception without any of the cues knew that was happening. But I don't know about you folks. I certainly don't have the ability, thank goodness, to perceive things happening that aren't actually happening in my here and now. So I love that ICBT reorients you to really stay present and not just stay present, but really say, okay, my what I use to analyze my environment on the day to day that has made me a successful person up into this point works. I'm a good analyzer. I I'm a good processor in all of these other areas. So if I can learn to trust myself in this area again and say, actually, I don't see a fire. I don't smell a fire. I'm not coughing fire. I don't hear people yelling fire. I don't hear an alarm saying fire. Right then I can trust that it's not happening right now. And that's where we introduce this idea of functional certainty. Actually, there is certainty that there's not a fire happening right now. Do you see it? I don't like to hear it. Do you? All the things, right? And so it's very counter to ERP language, which is all about embrace the uncertainty. It's very different. So could you talk about functional certainty or certainties a little more from an ICBT standpoint? Well, I mean, even as you were talking, I mean, I'll say just bringing from my own direct experience, right? Like part of what we're doing is we're remembering that having OCD, yes, it's a doubting disorder, but what kind of doubt, right? It, it's, it's, it's literally a pathological doubt. It doesn't work the same way the way we normally have doubts. We all have doubts, right? We all know in reality that we all have to live with uncertainty, right? But doubt, we have to remember, ICBT is starting doubt. Doubt is what? Doubt is when I actually do have information in front of me, but I'm not trusting it. I'm doubting it. I'm doubting what I'm seeing. I'm doubting what I'm feeling. I'm doubting what I'm hearing. But the information's there. Uncertainty is I may not even have information or I may not even be able to get information. For example, I will never have information about when is going to be the day that I'm going to die. That's going to be a piece of data I got to live with. Guess what? So do the rest of us, right? So we all know we all have uncertainties that we have to live with, right? 
But here again, it's a different target. It's not about uncertainty. It's about resolving this doubt that's pathological, obsessive doubt. It's understanding and identifying what, where is it that I am now, I was in reality and I was operating, I was functioning, I was certain of things, I was trusting things, I was moving on with life. And then suddenly something happened. And instead of being in that place, I'm getting teleported somewhere else. And now I'm doubting everything about myself, mm-hmm. everything about what I'm perceiving. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I'm getting absorbed in this OCD bubble, as we say in ICBT. Mm-hmm. that's really a key ingredient, right? Because functional certainty, even if we talk, talk about reassurance, we can bring that in, right? The reality is even with ERP, part of response prevention is learning to say, hey, it's not like none of us ever need reassurance. We all need it sometimes. That's mm-hmm. normal human need, right? Behavior. But let's talk about, you know, designing a plan, how many times would be reasonable to ask that, that versus, you know, compulsively to ask. In ICBT, we'd say, hey, we don't need to, design a plan like that because when we can resolve that obsessional doubt and we can help you start to see it when is it that you're starting to depart from reality into some other place and have you come back right then you can start to re-engage with your life in that way that you typically do like anybody else does right like anybody else we all still sometimes like we know for example the sun goes up the sun goes down, right? We have moon, we have day, we have night. Like we know these certain things that that's a that's piece of certainty, right? But we also know that there's other things if we're going to go deep into stuff that we can get really lost there. Like, well, do I really know this? Do I really know that? Right? So we have to kind of step back and say, what globally, can't we all agree that we all have certain things that we come to rely on and just, just kind of t- take into account so that we can just operate day to day. Right. right. There's just some basic ways that we operate, that we all kind of do these certain things. Now, some things sure might be different based on culture and part of the world you're in. There are certain things globally we all just kind of accept and say, okay. And, and we take that information. We're not overly thinking about it. We just move on day to day. And that's all we want people to do is get back to that functional certainty. Or if they, if somebody needs to ask questions or what seems like reassurance, well, let's get you again into functional reassurance, functional certainty, things that we all know, we all kind of use day to day to operate and to move in the world. That's all we're wanting to do. And the reality is, again, when you understand that the different models operate differently, Mm -hmm. and this model is really working, as we say, upstream. So it's working on the front end to really hone in on and help you identify what is it that just triggered you, that you just left reality and you stopped trusting yourself and who you actually know yourself to be. Mm-hmm. You stopped trusting your sensory data. You stopped trusting your common sense. Yeah. And then now you're going somewhere else. What was that point? And let's really resolve that, right? So that that's a really important, important element here. Yeah. And when we can do that, then we're really restoring our we're restoring people to come back to their their sense of real self, not just the OCD feared self, because the OCD feared self, and in, even in ERP, we talk about an OCD feared self. But here in this model, we really say like, hey, because of this, these vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. this is really where your specific flavor of OCD comes from. Right. So like, for example, I'll share with for me specifically. So I immigrated to the States. Mm-hmm. Trying to get friends here was really difficult. I didn't speak the language. I was picked on and bullied. I'm a child of, there's, like, I think, three divorces. Okay, so those things for me 
are part of my insecurities and vulnerabilities. So that makes up my vulnerable self-theme. So for me, when it comes to OCD stuff, anything has to do with relationship OCD dynamics, whether it's even in friendships or romantic, yeah. that's my Achilles heel. That's where I'll get triggered. Right. Makes sense with what I just told you. Sure. Right. But like, and then of course the, the fear itself is what if I'm this type of person, I'm going to be rejected. Yeah. Right. So that, that's the thing I'm really scared of. So then of course, anything like that, or what if I did something wrong and now I'm going to be rejected. Right. So it keeps going to those places, but I know why. Mm-hmm. So anytime there's a trigger, I understand how when that kind of comes online, suddenly I literally just like everybody with OCD, you for, you literally forget and abandon any kind of memory of who you really are and other things you've done. And suddenly it's like you can only see this one slice of the pie, right? It's like this becomes the only thing you see that, no, no, I am that I think this this terrible person. I am. I'm going to be rejected. I'm doing stuff wrong. And then what does that do? That starts to feed that cycle because now your brain's going to go, oh, yeah, remember this one time? And what about there? And well, what about this thing? Right. So it's going to start to fill in the blanks with all sorts of scenarios that you could possibly think of, of everything you've ever done. Right. To keep convincing you that, oh, yeah, this is happening. You are this thing. You're becoming this thing. Yeah. Right. And so we get so pulled in. And then, of course, nobody wants to feel that. So, of course, you're going to want to try to resolve it. Right. So, but here, instead of saying, let's entertain that uncertainty, we're going to say, no, 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 let's actually come back and reconnect to your full sense of self, who you are in your totality. Let's bring back your senses. So an example, like, again, I got a text with a friend. Okay. This, this was a trigger because there was some exchange and I could tell that they were like, we weren't on the same page. And I wrote something and I basically didn't really get a response. And I got a question mark, the little, whatever, instead of a fart or whatever. Yeah. And that's it. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, she's really mad. And now we're never going to be friends and it's going to break up. And then I pause right there. I pause because I was already learning ICBT and I took a breath. I'm like, whoa, Christina, hold on a second. Where the heck did you just go? I'm right. like, okay, wait, 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 wait. And I had to literally tell myself to just pause, breathe, slow down. I'm like, okay, what's actually happening? Like, what do you actually see? And I'm like, well, what I see is my phone. I sent a text. I got a reply. It's a question mark. That's pretty much all that's gone down. Right. Nothing else has happened. I'm like, okay, what else do I know? I'm like, well, common sense tells me I have a very long-standing friendship with this person. We've resolved conflicts before. If there is a misunderstanding, I can trust. We'll figure it out. Okay. What do I know about myself? I'm like, well, I know generally I have made mistakes. I'm human, but I come with good intentions and I'm going to trust that my friends know that. Right. So that right there was the moment that I recalibrated and stopped that obsessive doubt cycle that probably anybody listening could hear where it yeah. started to get absorbed. Right. Cut that off and reoriented myself back to what, what's actually happening in, in reality here and now. And that ended it. And then sure enough, some hours later, so my friend, we quickly resolved the touch base and moved on and forgot all about it. Right. So that's part of what we're talking about here, right, is bringing all of that into the room. And that process takes a moment to learn and figure it out because what's amazing with OCD is when we're triggered, we literally do not trust our senses. Right. We completely are just like, no, no, but, but this thing could be there or, but what if, right? So we get so absorbed in all these possible bad outcomes that we, we literally are completely disconnecting and forgetting that, wait a minute, your sensory information is enough. Right. You could trust yourself. Yeah. 
I think sometimes people get confused about what is present reality for you versus, yes, this has factually happened in another case, because that can be a real trigger. For example, I was talking with a client about stories that get shared on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Oh, Facebook, you know, Mm -hmm. the source of all truth, right? (laughs) Uh, But they, in a local community group, post had been shared about how somebody was targeted for presumably child sex trafficking at a Target. Okay. And this all went down at the Target and the Target parking lot and they called the police and all these things. Right. And the parent, I presume, of said child went on and shared about be cautious, be careful. This just happened at Target here. This happens here. Here's what's happening here, even in our community. And so the client comes back with, I am terrified to let my children, for me, myself, to go shopping at Target or any place where I could be loading groceries or bags and somebody could target one of us and try and take one of my kids for child trafficking. Now, does this happen? Certainly. Child trafficking, big problem. Lots of help needed in advocating for and finding predators that are trying to traffic children. That being said, confusing the, I saw this Facebook post, so it's true, because it happened. Mm -hmm. It happened at the Target Mm -hmm. down the street versus I was at Target being targeted, right? But but the person can feel so absorbed in it that whether they go to any store or not and they look around and somebody makes eye contact and then looks away. Well, my here and now reality said maybe they were profiling me or profiling my daughter and maybe wanting to take them because that happened. That happened here in my community. It gets very, very fuzzy. When something's happened to somebody you care about or in your community or even not in the community, we've just, as of the time of taping, there were just these Idaho murders. Things can happen. Bad things can happen. Absolutely. But then where the line is, what's going on in your reality? Because it can get confusing sometimes. I'm in Target and somebody looked at me. They looked at me. They're not grabbing me. I've been to Target many times, never been grabbed before. Many people go to Target. Target's doing well. And they have not been abducted or targeted. They may have walked out with way too much stuff. That problem is real. But other than that, looking at your present reality, even if somebody looked at you, is that the same as somebody attacking you? Well, it's never meant that before. And while these certainly could be profiling marks of something very similar to the Facebook story that you read, confusing what you read and that reality for them with the cues you're getting in the here and now, it can get kind of tricky because you can go, but I did. I saw them look at me, right? Well, what you're talking about, and there's another component, because one thing is there's 12 modules in ICBT, right? And each module, sometimes we have to take, you know, a couple of weeks to go through. It's not it's not like we rush through this process. But one of the modules really talks about the cheats and tricks of OCD. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about understanding the reasoning process that you're using that sounds reasonable, because it does sound reasonable. It sounds like it makes sense. It's looking, first of all, how the OCD brain is combining those processes. And then what other tricks is it playing on you? 
very common trick is taking things out of context. Mm -hmm. So what you were just describing is an example where, yeah, maybe I read something and I saw something that did happen. It's, it's, it's there. It's true. I, I get it. Right. But then how am I using that information out of context or how am I using that information to then perpetuate and fuel myself back into this place of imagined possibilities instead of actually, for lack of a better word, I'll say reading the room, like actually taking in what's happening right here, right now and seeing, you know, is there currently truly a present danger? That means I do have to take an action step or is there not currently present danger, even though I'm aware that there are some things that are happening in the community. I mean, that's part of what we live in. In reality, is that things happen, right? There's thefts, there's murders, there's rapes. Unfortunately, right? There's a whole lot of things. But it's how are we, do we navigate those moments when we don't have OCD, right? Because I bet you, even in that example, that person probably navigates other moments in their life that are not those specific vulnerabilities for them, just fine. But then when it comes to this specific moment, because this happens to be their vulnerability, suddenly. We're not applying the same principles, right? And right. now our OCD brain wants to take things out, again, out of context or have you distrust your own senses or yourself or that you really know what to do, right? Versus coming back to yourself and saying, wait a second, yes, I just got this information. So yes, I do need to be maybe aware and safe, but I don't need to per se go overboard or do some compulsive avoidance, right? It's coming back and remembering that I know if I'm with my kids, like I know how to keep my kids with me, keep them safe, right? Or if let's say something is in reality, like this right now is not a comfortable place to go because there's a lot that's just been happening there. Well, then let me find a, a different, in this example, you gave target if need be, right? These are all things you have to kind of explore, but that's what really you're needing to understand. OCD thinking has, has been fascinating for me because it's kind of like, it sounds like it's reasonable and logical, it sounds like you're on the right track because it starts with something that's actually logical and reasonable, but then it kind of goes off yeah. and it goes off into a whole other place. So that's what we're learning to slow down and identify. Where is it that you're starting with something that truly does? This is something that you did read that is in fact happening, but then look at what your OCD does with it. So we always have to make sure to come back and look at, are you using information in the right context? Is it relevant in the here and now? And do you know what to do? In general, as a parent to keep your kids safe, I would venture probably most parents would say, well, yeah, I do. Okay. Right. Let's come back to that. Right. Right. Instead of, again, getting absorbed and taking things out of context and mixing it up in our minds. And our obsessional stories are creative. Like yes. we, we're very creative people. And when we start to get absorbed, we will start to see images of things. We can start to feel things in our body. Right. But if we can actually step out of that and really look at what's going on, and what can I do? And do I know how to do these things? The answer is, yeah. Yeah, I do. Right. I, you know, you just highlighted a, a really important point that I think not only OCD sufferers can get stuck in, understandably, but also family members having really visceral responses and physiological responses. They go, actually, I'm feeling the threat. I'm feeling it's not just a thought thing. Sometimes the feeling comes first. And undoubtedly, I'm trusting this physiological response I'm having in my body, right? My five senses say, oh, the alarms are going off. But it's a little different because that's not a reasoning process. And physiological responses can be a response to distress. They can be response to a number of things. Like think of how many things a side effect of a headache could be. Right? Mm -hmm. And so we attribute 
the meaning. We say, oh, yeah, this means the threat is real because I'm having this real response in real time. And a lot of times that can sweep people away into those obsessional doubts because it feels it's not just a thought. It feels real. Right. But again, it's the reasoning. It's faulty reasoning. Right. So right. it's not just the meaning I'm assigning it. It's that I'm engaging in faulty reasoning. So I really would say with ICBT, a component that stands out to me is knowing that it's almost like a, like you have to make sure that you're thinking of things you have to have all these things kind of together in one space to then make sense, it has to be relevant, right? The fact that I have a feeling or a grunal response or anything like that in and of itself doesn't equal anything, right? You have to have other things present to actually make it true and probable in reality that they need to respond to it. Mm-hmm. So this is where ICBT says, hey, if I feel off or let's say grunal response, what other things would have to be true to actually make it probable? So again, we're getting, we're diving into what's a normal doubt versus an obsessive doubt, right? What would have to happen in reality for your OCD fear to actually be true? That's another way I ask that question. Mm-hmm. And when people pause, they go, well, I guess in reality, I would have had to, let's say with pedophilia, I would have had to, number one, be attracted to kids, be into kids throughout my life, you know, seek it out, like it, want it, mm-hmm. Right. And usually when we talk to people, that's the polar opposite. They're like, well, no, I actually love kids and I would never want to do that. But what if? Like, right, so hold on a second. So then we got to go, well, let, let's go ahead and use the steps to sequence it out. There's something called an obsessional sequence that helps us slow down so we can understand where is it that you're starting to have this obsessive doubt. And then the consequence of the doubt that you're getting absorbed in, right, Mm-hmm. Instead of sticking with what is it in this moment that I'm I'm starting to doubt instead of actually staying in what I know. Right. Right. And what and in that example, I would say, well, what I know is I've never liked kids like that. I'm not into that stuff. Like, what? What are we talking about? Like, no. But if my body did something, well, OK, bodies do something sometimes. But that has no that there's other information that has to be present to make that an actual real probable issue for me to consider that then I have to actually respond to. So that's something we also want to get underneath and look at, right? Is again, how am I reasoning in a way that's really faulty here, where I'm not taking other pieces of information that are really important and relevant to make this actually something that I have to do something about. Right. Yeah. And not just doing something about it, but the sense of urgency of the stakes are dire. I need to figure this out before I what hurt somebody, hurt myself, do something abominable. I'll, I'll, you know, fill in the blank. And one of the things I like to share with this community, I share it with my clients. We use it as a family. It's like, man, we put man on the moon. There's space out there, right? And we, with our amazing minds, put man on the moon. We've created things like Avatar. We've created things like these really immersive rides and tall buildings and amazing technologies, right? And electric cars and all this stuff. We could come up with some pretty amazing and intense ideas. And so when you think about going into obsessional doubt, then you're really going into the land of imagination. And the imagination Mm -hmm. literally took people off of this planet. (laughs) They do (laughs) heart transplants. They do brain surgeries. They do all sorts of things. Yes, 
it is very possible for literally limitless outcomes to happen. And so when we get into the land of limitless, that's where we're struggling really within the OCD brain. And so that process through ICBT is really saying, when did we cross into that obsessional doubt, that inferential confusion, especially around these certain very personalized, very important themes of how we see ourselves, these vulnerable self-themes, as ICBT language would put it. And so I think that is really, really, really interesting. And, and, and I love that there is a mechanism for dealing with the problem. We don't just have the problem and we're like, how do we deal with it, right? If there were bubbles floating all over my floor, I'd work on cleaning up the bubbles. But I want to know, where are these bubbles coming from? Right? Yeah, yeah. And ICBT, I would really even say, really looks at that first inference of where we start to doubt, right? The first inference is right after the trigger. Whatever the trigger is, there's that immediately some sort of like, what if, whatever that is. And that first inference we're making is inaccurate because even in that first inference, we already are departing from trusting ourselves and what's actually happening in the here and now. Yeah. And then after that, we get further and deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole. Right. So really, let's learn how to identify that place and let's resolve that obsessional doubt so that, yeah, we can take information in the way we typically do in non-OCD moments. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I had what I would classify as one of my first distinctly ICBT moments even in managing my own OCD, my husband and I take turns sleeping in on the weekend. Sleeping in is nine o'clock, but believe you me, it's amazing <laughs> when we get up early with the kids. So we take turns sleeping in and I slept in on Saturday. And when I woke up, the very first thing that greeted me was, what if my oldest son is too short for his age because of a biological problem that I've missed. And if we are on it in a short amount of time, that it's going to make such a profound difference in his growth and development. Like, you know, everybody's run of the mill Saturday morning thought. <laughs> but the thing for me is it used to be a very run of the mill thought. I wouldn't have blushed at that. And in the moment I had just woken up, it was really absorbing. Now to give some context, I did help at my son's Christmas holiday party before school was out, before Christmas break. And when I was in helping, I was like, huh, he's one of the shortest kids in this class. Even, even amongst the girls, he's a boy, he's shorter. Huh. But I didn't think anything else of it that I was aware of at the time. I just moved on with my day. So this Saturday I wake up and I'm like, he has ADHD and he has autism, but he's been on ADHD medication because his inattentiveness is high enough. Could that be impacting his growth? He has a family history of endocrine disorders. Could that be impacting his growth? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I started researching. I pulled up his electronic health record. I pulled up all my other children's records. I looked at where his growth curve was and when it changed. And then I Googled, wonderful asset, Google. <laughs> you know, like, you know, when should I be concerned? How many standard deviations below a growth curve if it has changed? And it it fit on all of these things. Now, is it possible that he has a growth issue? I suppose it is. But 
I was so zoomed in on following the rabbit down this trail until I literally had this moment of going, wait a minute, what am I doing? Right? It's not that I didn't observe that he wasn't the shortest kid in the class like a month ago. <laughs> and it's not that he isn't short for his age. And if I have questions, I could call the doctor. But as I know from being in his electronic health record, his well appointment's coming up in a couple months, and that's fine. I can just do it then because it's not urgent. Because what came first was I woke up, I saw like, okay, my husband's up with the kids. That's great. Oh, I see Christmas decorations. We still need to take those down. Okay. And then the thought came. There was nothing there. It wasn't my son walking in and just looking especially short, which he's not especially short. And I was like, huh. And I sat up and I was like, you know, what are my vulnerable self themes? I do tend to have a hyper sense of responsibility for my kids, for their well-being for my clients, for my family, for me, for you name it. And so if I could have been neglectful in something and missed it, and his growth, his whole, oh my gosh, the totality of the Saturday morning mm -hmm. thought could be impacted, well then shit, I better deal with that, right? right? And so I literally sat up and I was like, well, yeah, it seems pretty reasonable that that would be a vulnerability. And so I opened the window, I stretched, and I said, well, good morning to you too, OCD. <laughs> no, it was pretty much like, screw off, I'm going to go about my day now. But it was very different. Usually I would go into ERP mode about yeah, that. Absorbed, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really liked, I came downstairs, I was real happy. My husband's like, you're real happy? I'm like, yeah, I, I woke up with OCD this morning. But I noticed immediately, fairly quickly, five minutes or less, and that's done. It's done. Yeah. There's no yep. need to sit there and worry. Will I bring it up at his well-child appointment? Should we be worried about culture? I'll mention, based on the data that's there, is there an emergent thing? Is he so low that I should be like, let's do this? No. OCD right. wanted me to believe that. And so I had an ICBT moment where I was like filtering it through a new lens. And I really liked I really liked the way it felt because I felt really empowered afterwards. Hmm? Like, man, I do so much for my kids. And I didn't even have to go into all of that because I know I do. Man. Exactly. It's, it's really powerful when you really, truly are practicing staying and living out of, for lack of a better word, reality. Actual, true, like what's literally here right now and that's happening and that's in context that makes sense, right? That like I know these things because we do. I mean, like I said, right? You're, you're an intelligent woman with people with OCD are intelligent creatures you know like we know that maybe this isn't real but that one percent chance but but exactly that's all based on this possibility seeking and, and getting absorbed in our imagination and when we come back we realize well yeah in, in reality like again there's other things that would have to be at play to really make this probable that then I have to do something about it and in your case like you said yeah there's some real information but then there's also other things where MOCD is pulling me in out of that place and into a whole slew of imagined consequences that, right. you know, once you see that, you realize, wait a minute, that's not even relevant to this. And more than that, I also know how to resolve this and I'll ask if need be and move on. Right. And it's in, and in that framework, it's not that dissimilar from the Target example, right? The thing at Target happened for this person who shared right. the story, presumably. That would be a really weird thing right. to make up. But 
it didn't happen to you. I said to my husband, you've been insane. I was like, you know, from an ICBT, because this is the kind of fun we are on a Saturday morning over espresso. <laughs> I was like, so the problem did come first. He was sure. And then I'm like, no, it didn't. He, I didn't even see him this morning. It wasn't like this morning, like the problem is here. And I'm seeing him in a lineup. You know, we weren't at a soccer right. game and he, little short <laughs> Jack, right. my eldest, was just here with all the other, like a significant difference. No, it wasn't. And so just taking it out of context, then all of a sudden I'm like, well, here's the grain of truth that could be something. Sure, it could be something. It could also be early, late onset puberty, which I did a deep dive in before I recognized OCG. <laughs> we were just all up solving all sorts of different literature and citations, mm -hmm. all the things. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's powerful. So. In terms of then when you're meeting with clients now, if they're just coming into treatment or if you're seeing that plateau for a certain amount of time, what are you tending to introduce? Do you provide information on both modalities in terms of here's ICBT, here's ERP, which road feels better? Do you pick and then as you reach a plateau at a certain amount of time, introduce the idea of the other modality. How does that look for you in practice? Yeah, so when I start with somebody, I usually tell them, I lay the options out and I let them know here's the behavioral approaches and then here's a cognitive approach and give them the explanation for both and what the differences are and where things can be complementary. Because like I said, sometimes if need be, we might do we might do ERP at the end after ICBT, but it's done very differently. It's more just engaging in just standard functional life. And then I really, sometimes clients will tell me what they prefer and they want. Mm -hmm. So, well, I mean, there's, there's really no like one size fits all. It's really just giving that. And sometimes people ask me what I think. And sometimes it's really just having a good assessment to understand, you know, first of all, what's the level of severity and what kind of treatment would be best for that weekly or IOP? And then from then on, kind of figuring that out. Do we need to do any ERP or, you know, are you in a place in space where we can get into doing ICBT work? So it really is that conversation on the front end. And I've had people too, where they might want to start with one modality and then they want to switch. So right now, the way it is, it's not, it's not set in stone. But I will say, as I've gotten better and better with ICBT, even with clients that I have who prefer ERP and want to stay with ERP, which is fine. But when I listen to them sometimes getting completely disconnected and absorbed into this feared vulnerable self, sometimes I may bring in a module for my CBT and say, hey, let's just talk about this concept in general. Yeah. That's one thing that I've enjoyed about ICBT is you can use these modules and training points that they don't have to be exactly, you know, one through 12. They can be mixed around. Then some of the things that I've brought to folks who just want to do ERP, some of the concepts really resonated and have been helping them to connect a little bit more to their full authentic real self. Yeah. And then we'll still just do standard ERP. Yeah. So it just really, you know, I think depends on, yeah, on the person I'm sitting with. But I always will present people with the options. Yeah, I've just started presenting, which is... <laughs> It's something because I'm still learning through all of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, when I was first doing it, I'll be honest, I used the worksheets exactly as they are. We would read them together uh -huh. out loud. We'd uh -huh. go through them. We'd discuss it. Now it's, I can tell I've evolved because now I don't use those. I get into concepts a little bit more easily, more quickly. But that's like anything in life, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think really the key is verbalizing that you're learning, not pretending you just know it and going into it, but we're learning together. And I think sometimes that can feel validating to clients because they're learning it for the first time anyway. So they feel Mm -hmm. like, hey, there's someone in the trenches here with me kind of muddying through this. And, And that can be helpful as well. So Yeah, I think it's been a good practice. I think switching then, if they've been in ERP mode, say, for a year and a half for clients, or maybe they've done prior therapy, they're coming back for therapy, and ICBT seems like it could be a really great fit, but they're used to ERP or they understand ERP better. What are some tips and strategies that you would have for families trying to help support their loved ones? In making that switch, because as much of it is a mind like bend for us and for the OCD sufferer, the family that's been working really hard on reducing family accommodation and uh, reducing other factors, like it's they're very involved in the treatment at home because their participation or lack thereof makes a big impact. The environment makes a big impact. So what tips would you have for family members trying to go from balancing and just feeling like, okay, I understand at least what ERP is doing and kind of making that switch into ICBT if their loved one is now in a plateau and the therapist is saying, hey, I think this could be helpful. Well, I think just like with ERP or acceptance of therapy, we do want family involvement. And I think part of it is telling everybody, like you said earlier, I love that, that this is a different language we're going to learn. And just please bear with me, but let's be a little patient because it is going to be a little disorienting because it is different. It's a different angle. Usually what I found is when I involve other family members, because some a lot of this stuff is so logical to them, it makes sense pretty quickly, but then we're able to at least isolate a little bit more of the problem area so they can start to see, oh yeah, okay, now I get it where the person with OCD is, kind of their thinking starts off at one place and suddenly veers off somewhere else. And so then it becomes a great tool to say, hey, let's help you guys together communicate in a different way. Like supportive members will always say things like, oh, yeah, I noticed so-and-so kind of suddenly stops. And like I could just tell like they're looking up or they're looking down, they're looking off to the side, but they just went somewhere else. And I'm like, right, that's such a common thing we see. And so, you know, using those kind of moments to start to check in differently and say, hey, where are you? Did you, are you here now with me or did you just go somewhere? So starting to do like something like that, where it helps to reorient the person to, oh yeah, right. I'm not here right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So where did you go? And when we're learning the ICBT language and the different words, it's encouraging people to use those words in that language. I like to train sometimes supportive folks, whoever they are, understanding the obsessional sequence and even saying, hey, maybe let's sit down together with whoever that is, you know, there's kid-friendly kind of PowerPoint that I have that I teach with teens and I can teach adults and saying, you know, let, let's have you guys sit together and sequence it out so that you're both kind of learning and in that way you're helping them. Or a module that's called the Tricks and Cheats of OCD. I'll teach that to the family members as well as to the person with OCD and saying, okay, let's together start to work on identifying what are some of those top tricks and cheats of how your OCD pulls you in, how OCD makes you leave reality and go back to being absorbed in the imagination. So everybody's learning some of the language and terminology. Yeah. And then they're able to start to put that in place and really help to reorient the person back to the present moment 
And similarly there, right, we're still looking to make sure that we're progressively letting go of those safety behaviors, right, that we're really seeing, let's get back to that functioning. And then also let's give some of that validation of, I trust that you will know how to do this. Like, I trust in your ability. I know who you are. Yeah. Right. We're not reassuring you. We're just reminding and validating that you've got this. You can do this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's similar in many ways, I would say, with ERP, just different language, different different concepts. Yeah. I really like what you said because I was going to do a follow-up question, and this is exactly in my understanding the answer of what you just said. Sometimes parents, particularly not just parents, but I, I'm, I can think of one in particular that's kind of populated in my mind of saying, okay, if I were to go to here and now five senses, in the past, I would have said, like, you don't need to worry about this. Look, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. And that was reassurance seeking. I was providing reassurance that was enabling the compulsion. And so what do I say? Because I don't want to be providing reassurance. But I think that point that you just made, the here and now five senses, you can even clarify. It. It's not that this is reassurance. This is information. This is direct here and now present information. And we in ERP will often say like, yeah, we can always provide information. There's a difference between providing information and providing reassurance. And there's a difference in the response when someone's received information and they're like, oh, okay. They may not like the answer, but they're like, okay, get it. You know, versus getting stuck in that doubt. And so if you're saying, let's label, what is hitting our irises? What do you smell? What do you see? What do you taste? What do you feel? Like in terms of a, a tactile feel, not necessarily a what's the alarm system, an internal alarm system feeling like. And that can be a really helpful distinction. So just starting that, reorienting yourself to what's going on in the here and now, and for support people, looking at their loved ones, going through it. Also for them to orient themselves to the here and now and go, okay, yes, they're struggling in this moment. That's what I'm seeing. That doesn't mean because often there can be a parallel doubt and worry of like, oh, does this mean we're regressing? This is all going downhill. Uh, but just going, okay, yeah, they're having a hard moment. And uh, I just heard the ding. So the quiche is done. Okay. So <laughs> that's what's going on right now. You're having a hard time. Quiche is ready. I will go get quiche. I trust you will still be having a hard time. I just haven't done with that. Well, yeah. Well, but the, exactly. It's supportive people also learning, like, where, when is it that you're, are you in the land of the here and now, or you, did you just go to the land of the imagination, right? And yeah, again, exactly. even some of that language, it starts to help the whole unit, everybody involved to start to help orient the person and then start to resolve it and realize that things I'm imagining in my mind are just that. Mm -hmm. They're not actually happening right now. So why am I going to spend more time addressing all that stuff and try to fix something that is not even actually happening right now? That's not even relevant to the here and now. Right, right. right. So every, everybody can start to kind of come together. And like you said, it's then just working with each individual and their supportive system to teach some of these tools and give them this language and then have them practice. Right, yeah. So if you're interested, if you're sitting there thinking, either I am an OCD sufferer or I'm crazy mad supporter. I love my dear OCD sufferers so much and I want to support them. And I think ICBT could be a great choice for them. First of all, I hope that you are set up with a treatment team that is able to help guide you through that process. 
and help keep you guys on track in the lane of what's going to be most helpful evidence-based lane of reducing OCD, reducing inferential confusion. But also, it's something that you can bring up with that therapist and say, hey, have you heard of ICBT? Because I think maybe there is something to us getting out of the here and now. Would that be a good option? If they've heard of it, maybe they brought it up to you and you've been a little bit suspect. You're like, oh, this is a little sus. I don't know. ERP is the gold standard, especially here in the United States. Yes, it is. But again, we have more than one gold standard. I mean, ultimately, we're attributing in a very ERP appropriate way value to ERP, right? It's gold. Uh, <laughs> but also, that doesn't mean ICBT is not. It doesn't mean anything. It's not an evaluative statement. Both are good in their own ways, but they address the problem very differently. If your therapist doesn't do ICBT and has maybe heard of it but doesn't know more, maybe it's something you could say, hey, could we try learning some of this together? And ICBT.online is a great resource for therapists being able to learn more about it. And if your client comes to you and says, I'd like to know more about this ICBT, what's going on? This would probably be one of the best sources, if not looking at some of the books by Frederick Ardema and some of the other phenomenal researchers that have been spearheading this. And so that would also be a resource. But I would have your therapist get into it, even if they're like, I don't know about this. Say like, well, I don't either. Let's learn. Can we learn? (laughs) Let's, Let's just see if there's something to it. Also, practicing whether you're with the therapist or not, just practicing what is going on in my present five sense, common sense reality. It's really helpful. I know one of the analogies used on a prior podcast was we're looking kind of at the magician's trick here, right? And once we figure out the mechanism of the magician's trick, we're not so shook by the magician's trick. And so if we can figure out the pieces here, that can be really, really helpful. And that's something often I tell to clients as we're in this somewhat transitional stage of potentially moving from ERP over to ICBT, very much learning together. There will be times where family members and clients have said, but when do I need to do the exposure? And I was like, I used to live in LA. We would sometimes, my husband used to work by Third Street Promenade and we used to go to the Santa Monica Pier. There are people doing all sorts of crap out on the pier and on the promenade trying to pedal for a little money and entertain and do their thing, right? I can't even remember the last time I walked past a magician's trick, and I'm sure there were. Because I don't get intrigued or consumed. I know more or less how they do the trick. Or even if it's a new trick to me, I understand the premise of a magic trick right? I understand the premise, the mechanism that's going in there. I'm not going, but you see, a rabbit was not in the net. It isn't. <laughs> and then they pulled a full-fledged live rabbit, real live rabbit. I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm not shook by that, right? And so do I need to expose myself to 10 different magic tricks where rabbits are coming out of hats and I know what the trick is? I know it's in the box or in the bottom of a false door or whatever. No, I don't care. I've got other things to do with my life. And OCD's taken enough time. I can just move on, right? I can do things that are more value-driven, as ACT would say. And so, yeah, I mean, 
there's not necessarily a need to sit there and expose yourself to magic tricks if you already know how it's done. You know how it's done. Okay, got it. Good. Moving on. And so that is really freeing and really good news. So being able to even practice that here and now, five sense, common sense reality is a great way to just start exploring the idea of, am I trusting my five senses here or not? But it can get tricky, like that Target example. It can get tricky. That happened in my community. So having your therapist, having your treatment team in place, and having one another is going to be key. And it's really nice when you can look at it that way because then you go, yeah, I'm not alone in this. We all got absorbed in that one. Woo! (laughs) But (laughs) we can get unabsorbed. The same way we could get absorbed, we can get out of that. And that's really freeing. So I super appreciate you coming on today, Christina. And this has just been really helpful in terms of just conceptualizing the options. And I love it. It's the options. It's not ERP versus ICBT. It's the options versus OCD. And boy, doesn't it feel good to say that. We have (laughs) options to take down OCD, and I love it. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Nicole, for having me. Thank you for that. You know what's funny? I was just chatting with some colleagues this week about my intrusive thoughts segment. And the irony, as you may have guessed, it's that intrusive thoughts are not the problem from an ICBT perspective, right? So while they're really prominent in most people's conceptualization of OCD and definitely key to understanding the ERP model, they're pretty much a fish out of water when it comes to ICBT because they aren't relevant to the faulty reasoning, the inferences of doubt that lead to inferential confusion in OCD. Sure, everyone has intrusive thoughts, but ICBT backs away from this notion that for some of us, for some of our loved ones, for our community, some of these intrusive thoughts, they just stick completely at random and somehow target our highly individualized values across the community. Again, completely at random. That doesn't make sense, at least to me. And ICBT reasons, it's because just that. Reasoning fueled by inferential confusion and vulnerable self-themes that totally locks in step with our highly individualized value systems. That's why we're getting stuck where we are. It's not random. In fact, it's very, very specific. And it's not across the board. It's in these very, very vulnerable slices vulnerable narratives, vulnerable obsessional sequences where we get locked in. And I like that explanation because it just fits for me. It clicks. For those of you who have been gathering with us for a while now, you may recall my son Jack, you know, the short one, (laughs) talking about Legos. He loves, loves, loves Legos. And Legos, they make sense to him because they either fit or they don't. Now, you can be incredibly creative and figure out some workarounds if you need a very specific piece to make a build happen, but you know what? You just don't have it. And that's part of the beautiful learning process and why Legos, or any kind of building blocks for that matter, are such great STEM activities. But at the end of the day, No matter what solution or solutions 
you come up with, because there can be multiple solutions sometimes, they still have to fit, right? They have to click. They have to take hold and keep hold. They have to apply relevant, present data to work. So do we all get intrusive thoughts? Yeah, we all get them. Is that relevant? Well, the good news is you get to choose. But intrusive thoughts, as long as we're on the topic, they've been trending here in 2023, interestingly enough. And according to a Forbes write-up published back in February, let's see, 16th, it looks like, uh, just a couple weeks ago, family, the hashtag intrusive thoughts had been tagged 796 million times, specifically on TikTok. So that's not even accounting for Instagram, Facebook, any other social media, Twitter. Now, every now and then, mental health does trend in different ways on social media, but much like art, entertainment, movies, mental health doesn't always get a accurate representation, shall we say? So while part of me can appreciate that, hey, having less stigma and being able to talk about mental health, that's great. It's important. The amount of misinformation also being shared can often outweigh the good of the dialogue anyway. But this, y'all, this is the day and the age we live in, folks. And wagging a finger at the misinformation is kind of akin to saying, ah, get off my lawn. Do people listen to that? Maybe. Sparingly. But mostly people just make fun of it. So what can we do? Well, let's start here. Let's choose. Choose to not believe everything we hear or read or see when it comes to social media. But rather, let's choose to consider the source of where the information starts. Because what can we learn about intrusive thoughts? Well, we can learn that everybody has intrusive thoughts. And while it isn't always wrapped up within complex mental health presentations, it certainly can be. And if we ascribe to ERP from the sources of IOCDF, or ADAA, or NOCD, or researchers like Dr. Jonathan Abramowitz or Dr. Eric Storch, then we learn hashtag intrusive thoughts are not a cutesy little trend. We learn they're intrusive, i.e. debilitating, unwanted, disturbing, distressing, torturous. It's not cute, y'all. And if we lean into ICBT through ICBT.online or through the research of Dr. Frederick Ardema or Karen O'Connor or others, we still learn that intrusive thoughts aren't cutesy, but they're also not responsible for the mechanism, the mechanism that impacts OCD. So for this week's intrusive thought segment, my application segment of the show, which may or may not be relevant based on which model you're using for treatment, I want to challenge all of us to consider this. I think a lot of people hear and learn about something and generally with good intentions try to share it with others. Hey, I just learned this thing. Let me share it with you. But where did this information come from? Where is the actual source? I mean, in a way, that's what ICBT is reminding us to do. The problem? It started here. Okay, here. Now, is that source, that moment that this concern entered the chat, is it relevant? Is it directly observable and reasonable based on here and now data? Or is it possible and irrelevant? Is it an inference on what could be 
all of these certain factors align or is it a reality? Yep, all the factors aligned right now. Can see them, can observe them, can measure them, can feel them, can touch them. Because the source and the validity of that source, well, we've got a couple of decades of research showing that if it's not relevant, it's not helpful. So let's commit to tracking down the origin of our sources this week. Busy? Not sure if you have the time? Can we do it with at least one thing? I mean, maybe it has to do with you. Maybe it has to do with your loved one's OCD. Maybe it has to do with economics or politics or when is our next turn of snack calendar? Maybe it has to do with intrusive thoughts or inferences of doubt. And maybe, just maybe, I can think of one person who might find it having to do something with Legos. Do these blocks fit? Should they fit? And they're not working? Or did I try to make fetch happen in a very creative way? But a way that defies the mechanics, the logic, the reasoning, the engineering, the functional reality of my build. Let's commit to figuring out the source. And if the source ended up being false, like, I don't know, this idea that led back to hearsay from a classmate's parent who was talking in Caroline about how someone missed bringing in the snack from Snack Calendar, then going to the Snack Calendar, seeing her name or not seeing her name, does that resolve this problem for us? Does that change the way we think or we feel about this situation? I have a feeling, just a feeling, just think it out loud, that it does. So how about you? Hmm? Let's check out those sources. And then, hey, if they're true, let's take it a step at a time. And if they're not, they're not. And let's move on. Because sometimes the thing or the things that are bothering us, they are going to be relevant. And our distress, that's going to be relevant too. Oh, yeah. But let's put things back into context. And let's not forget to look around. Because, hey, I see you over there. Do you see me? Because we, yeah, we, we're better together. I'll see you next week, fam. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like inferences of doubt that are hanging about. That's right, I went there. And you can too at OCD Family Podcast.